Welcome to Ritual of Practice Podcast. I am your host, Angela Houghton. The intention of this podcast is to inspire your practice. I thought it would be fun to offer stories of how different people integrate practice in their lives. I am so appreciative of the humans that share their experience on this podcast and to you, listener, for joining us. May you show up for what lights you up. Today on the podcast, I interview Brett Biggert, an ultra athlete living in Austin, Texas. Brett owns a successful solar company in Austin and chooses big races to train and participate in each year. This past year, he participated in the Brett Epic, a multi-stage mountain bike race, and the Baja 1000. Listen to our conversation to learn how Brett incorporates these big events in his life and why. Hi there. We're here with Brett Biggert on the Ritual of Practice podcast. He's coming to us on this conversation from Austin, Texas. And I'm just so grateful to have you here today, Brett. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here. You have a great voice. I'm sure people tell you that all the time. It's very deep. It's like my dad had a very deep voice too. And so when I, my dad passed away in 2000, in 2017, and I still call people and they're like, man, you sound like your dad. <laughs> so, so anyway, pass that on to me. So <laughs> what a gift when people say that to you, do you feel warmth inside? I do a little bit. I think about him. I think about him yelling at me from downstairs, turn it down there. <laughs> the TV or the music? Music usually. Yeah. <laughs> Were you the boombox generation? Yeah. I mean, I feel like maybe a little bit. I mean, I feel like I watch things. I feel like the eighties and nineties music, um, you know, kind of shaped my life a little bit in some weird way. So yeah, I was a big fan of MTV. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's crazy how I forget about MTV. And then, yeah, that was a huge part of my life. Totally. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, my kids have no idea what that is. They're 10 and 12 and they have no idea what MTV is, but like we, we live for MTV back in the day. I think they have their own version now. They do. <laughs> they have a lot more distraction. Yeah. <laughs> well, sweet. Um, so the first question is, what sparked your initial interest in ultra, being an ultra athlete? That's my understanding. Is that a good way to describe what you do? Wow, that's a, that seems like a generous way to describe what I do, but it's it's probably accurate. I mean, I do a lot of, um, I do a, I feel like I, I kind of knock down a few big races a year that tend to be kind of long distance things, uh, whether they're kind of Ironman things or mountain bike events, or the Baja 1000 or kind of, uh, doing the rim to rim to rim, uh, run in the Grand Canyon. So there's various kind of twisted things that I, uh, try to knock down as a middle-aged guy now. And. I do a couple of them a year, I feel like at least one. Uh, but I'd say, you know, my interest in those things, I, I think I've always had a little bit of an interest in those things. Um, the idea of kind of pushing yourself, I feel like I got decent genetics from my parents. So, you know, I was able to be an okay athlete kind of growing up and kind of did sports stuff, traditional sports stuff, and then found my way into individual things. So race motocross, um, a bunch of kind of individual sports and started to kind of find my way in that realm. 
And then I like the idea, quite frankly, of the success or failure of the outcome, depending upon me rather than a team. And so I kind of gravitated towards that. And over time, it's been, you know, like this warm embryonic sac that I keep coming back to, you know, I don't know what it is about the suffering and the pain and the idea of doing big races, but I thoroughly enjoy it. When it's done, usually I enjoy, I enjoy it usually when it's going on to a certain extent, but there's, um, but it's just something that's been part of my life for a long time. I'm 48. And so I would say, you know, since I've been about, I'd say 35, the idea of doing some kind of big race every year, at least, uh, has been part of my, MO. it's been part of my goal. So, um, so I, I feel like as a kid, I was, you know, pre-athletic and then kind of in my twenties, I still continued to do things competitively. And then in my thirties, as I got a little bit older, I kind of gravitated towards longer distance stuff. And now that I'm in my forties, that tends to be really fun stuff to go do, to go really push the edge a little bit and see, see what I can do. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been this consistent theme and maybe an inconsistent life and lots of other variables. This is the one thing I kind of always come back to. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story about this. So I was, uh, I had to speak in Austin here and it was at the city council and it was an outdoor podium and we were, we were talking about something related to the community. And so they asked me to come speak and I did. And it dawned on me while I was standing up there, which was overlooking town Lake, which is, uh, runs through the middle of Austin. And it's got a hike and bike trail. That's a 10 mile loop around it. And I thought about it and I think I've made every major decision in my life mm. around that 10 mile, <laughs> around that 10 mile track. Like crazy. Like, I mean, like naming kids, you know, relationship stuff. Should I go into a relationship? Should I come out of a relationship? Entrepreneurial stuff, sobriety stuff, like all these big decisions in my life, I think have ultimately been made running around that hike and bike trail. And so there's something that has this kind of like home sweet home feel to it. And maybe there's something about doing those things, whether it's, you know, running the hike and bike trail just on kind of a regular basis or being on my, my mountain bike that provides some level of clarity um, that I've kind of always come back to throughout my life. That's always been this thing I come back to. So I've been doing it now for now that I'm 48. I just turned 48. So uh, I've been coming back to it and I'm going to keep coming back to it. So that's my plan. I love it. I felt that when you shared that story about the lake and your decisions, like my whole body, I could feel it. <laughs> hit me on the inside and I got the goosebumps and it's true. And now I kind of, and now it's funny now that I've, now that I think I've, I've made the intellectual like connection that that's what happens there. Call it clarity, call it mental therapy with physical exercise, but that I can get to the solution of whatever big thing is gnawing at me by running around town lake. I find myself when I have some big gnawing thing that needs to be decided on some fork in the road, I find myself going there to get to the answer. Yeah. So now it's a little more premeditated than it used to be. It used to be, they just came to me while I was doing that and that was what I did. And then over time I'm like, okay, I have to make this big decision related to our business. For example, I need to go the hike of my trail or I need to get on my bike and go pedal. And that's where it happens. So it's kind of cool. It's super cool. I have a few follow-up questions, but just to finish this out, because I feel like it's really 
magical. I feel like my my belief is that because it's not up here, the solutions, the solutions aren't in our mind or in our brain. And so whatever it is that you're experiencing when you're on your bike or running around that lake, um, I believe enables you to connect to, yeah, what's inside of you more from your heart. And I'm so curious because now that you're aware of that, I wonder, I'm just thinking of myself and how I sometimes have this tendency to want to control or force things because really super strong will. <laughs> like I'm going to make some stuff happen. Oh, mama, I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> Very familiar. <laughs> Very familiar. Uh, that now that you're aware of it, because sometimes like when I'm aware of it, there has to be like this almost other layer to get out of the way. Um, have you experienced that at all? So now it's like, okay, I recognize that this happens here and I feel that connection. But now that I'm aware of it, does, do you find ever that you are then trying to control it in your in that environment where you found the connection? Sometimes I would say that, you know, um, I call it battling self-will, you know, is kind of uh, how I would characterize it sometimes. And it's like, well, you know, in my life, it's been shown to me uh, over time that when I exert myself will in extreme ways, the outcome usually doesn't turn out the way I would like it to turn out. Mm -hmm. If I look at the history of my life objectively and soberly, that's usually doesn't turn out the way I want it to turn out when I've really exerted some absurd amount of self will to try to twist people, places, or things to get some outcome that I want. And so it's this strange thing for people that have a ton of self-will of, for me at least, um, the idea of letting go a little bit, less self-will and more faith, mm -hmm. right? More faith in this idea that maybe I don't have to have the answer and maybe I believe in whatever it is, the universe, higher power, God, what is whatever that is, that's bigger than Brett Biggert. Um, that if I just recognize there is something out there in the universe that's happening that, that, you know, makes trees grow and makes puppies be born and generates rainbows and starry nights and all those things that I maybe can't explain. The right decision usually comes to me in the exercise of letting go of my willpower. And the mechanism to do that often comes through some exercise or some way to go kind of kind of shake out my self-will a little bit. So it's a strange um, it's a strange thing. It's like by if I'm left in my office all the time, for example, I'm balled up with self-will and trying to exert my my self-will and whatever the thing is I'm trying to get done. Um, but by going out and getting some exercise and sweating a little bit, I kind of shake some of that self-will off and I open the door just a little bit for this idea of something better to come along that can manage the outcome better than Brett Bigger. I'll call that the universe or higher power or whatever that is. And so it does, it becomes like the mechanism to kind of open that a little bit. And, um, people describe exercise all the time is like, I have to go <clears throat> release the powder from, or release the pressure from the powder keg. You know, I just, you know, you hear the, the phrase all the time. I just go crazy. If I don't exercise, like I get that it's the physical part, but it's also the mental part of like, 
I'm going to take my hands off the wheel here a little bit mm-hmm. and I'm going to put down my weapons and all the things that I use to, you know, battle throughout the day. And I'm just going to kind of like let it go. And I get that through exercise, which is a really cool thing. It is. And I relate to it very much. I want to help the listeners understand because I actually don't know. I'm not familiar with the Baja 1000 or the rim to rim to rim. And so I think it will be fun for the listener to understand what this ultra experience is, the long distance. Yeah, I mean, the ultra. And so uh, here's the way I think about things. I have a list of three goals that I try to knock out every year. I put them on my whiteboard. I put them on a piece of paper in my briefcase. They're on a sticky note in my house. Like the idea is that these three things must be done by the end of the year. And one of those things is I don't, I don't pigeonhole myself to say um, they all have to be financial or health or family or whatever. They all have to be three important things to me. And they have to be three really hard things that get me out of my comfort zone. And so every year I put those down and one of them is always a athletic goal of some sort. And so the idea there is that it has to be something very uncomfortable. (laughs) It has to be something that probably I don't think I could do and that I would need to train for because I'm not a super consistent person uh, just left to my own DNA. I'm a rather inconsistent person. And so by planting a flag with some goal, I kind of force myself into having to be consistent and show up on a regular basis to train for whatever the thing is I'm going to do. So those things have kind of varied between big mountain bike stuff. I've done the Leadville 100 several times, the Ironman. I just did the Breck Epic, which is a six day, uh, big mountain bike race. It's 240 miles. Uh, it was 40,000 feet of climbing. So it was a really big mountain bike race. How many? And then- Sorry. Like, so how many hours of riding is that? I, I enjoy mountain biking as well. So I'm just trying to wrap my mind around how many hours. It was like, battle you know, it was six to eight hours a day okay. for six days in a row. Um, so the individual days were not horrible, but you pack them all together and you start to do something that, you know, feels very uncomfortable. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I just did that last week. So I'm fresh off that. And then the other things, uh, the Baja 1000, I've been racing motorcycles my whole life. It's a thousand mile motorcycle race from the top of Baja to the bottom. Awesome. It's a flat out, you know, the last time I raced it, it was 34 hours. So it's, you know, a 34 hour race and it's a super scary uh, race, but it requires a lot of endurance and focus. And I would argue actually that's by far the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, I'm planning to race it again in November, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, and then the rim to rim to rim, um, is 46 miles, the grand Canyon down to the bottom to the top and then back to the other side. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty hairy elevation, 46 miles to go knocked down running. Then mm-hmm. to rim. Okay. So how do you cross train for all of these different things? It seems, yeah, like you have different entrance. Cause I just, I know for, I mean, even though there's similarities that it doesn't always cross over if I'm hiking and running and then mountain biking, it's different muscles. It is. I I think (laughs) this is how I feel. It it is. And so it's, it's kind of funny, like the, the idea of the goal thing, you know, I'll go back to that for a second. The way I think about it is if you do three really big, hairy things a year that are hard to do that you can feel really proud of at the end of the year. And I do that. 
over a decade, I'll have done 30 really big, gnarly things over a decade. That's a lot, actually. Mm-hmm. And if I did that for two decades, obviously I'd do 60 big ass things that would get me way out of my comfort zone. That's pretty cool. And so every year when I do this, I kind of go an inch wide and a mile deep with whatever my goal is for that year. So this year was kind of the Breck Epic and the Baja 1000. So I spent a bunch of time on motorcycles and mountain bikes. The Ironman is a totally different thing, right? I'm running, swimming, and on a road bike, which is totally different, in my opinion, than those things. And so I kind of break it up year to year um, and then go really deep for the year. And then that kind of, it. I'm also an ADD guy, so it, you know... I go really deep for a year and then I do the thing and then I kind of, I don't want to see a road bike for a little while, but I'm okay getting on a motorcycle yeah. <laughs> or I'm okay running. So it, it helps me kind of change it up, but they're all things that, um, they're all things I really enjoy. I, I, I would say, um, the motorcycling thing is, is something I really love because I've done it my whole life. Um, Mountain biking is really close. Uh, and then the running stuff is just kind of falling in. It's just such a nice, easy way to go do stuff and get out of your comfort zone that doesn't require a lot of, you know, you just walk out of your door and go make it happen. Um, and so all those things are, um, I kind of switched up year to year. Okay. Can we get nerdy for a moment sure. just about the practice? Yeah. Uh, because I'm, I'm really fascinated how... Yeah, like how that looks. So you have this big goal, and let's just say the Breck Epic um, as an example. What does that look like then for you on a weekly basis? So this is your goal for the year, and then how do you break that down weekly or monthly to prepare in the uh, from the aspect of practice? Yeah, I would say um, there are people that are much more technically. Um, focused on the training part of it. And what I would say is for me, most of the time, it's about a six month kind of ordeal to get to race day, whether it's the Ironman or the Breck Epic or Leadville. So it's about a six month exercise, uh, figuratively and literally. And so if I was just to, if I was just to characterize it over simply, it's like, Hey, I need to do some baseline training during the week. And then every weekend I'm pushing it a little further. And then I baseline train during the week. And then I push it a little bit further than the week before. And if you back into that, you can back into your training so that you kind of backdate it. So that the race day, you're kind of, you've, you've done almost the race distance. And then on the race day, you're going that distance, which is a little farther than you've ever trained. Although, you know, for the Leadville 100, for example, like the last time I did it last year, I just needed to go crank out a hundred miles on a mountain bike to make sure that I could feel like I could do it. There was something mentally about like making sure I could click off, you know, a hundred miles on my Strava (laughs) to know that I could do that. Even though the elevation is going to be different race day and the conditions will be different. It's just like, I just needed to mentally be able to do that. But I would say that the practice of, you know, finding the race, backing into what it's going to take to train to get there. I believe that almost anybody can train for these races and go do them. Mm -hmm. The hard part is dedicating the time to go do it and be willing to get up early and to go do it consistently and to do it with the amount of time over, you know, months and months and months to go be able to, to be able to finish the thing or do what you want to do in terms of a goal. And so that's where 
I say I get some consistency out of my life that otherwise maybe is not that consistent is I know I've got to ride three times a week and I got to put in a long ride on the weekend. And that's just got to happen. you know. And maybe I'm out of town that weekend and I have to kind of double up for it the next weekend. But generally, there's a cadence to the training that requires kind of a consistent output. And, you know, it's like anything in life. You do something for 30 days, you get a little bit used to it. You start doing it for three months, you get pretty used to it, you know, and you're doing it for five months. You're, you know, it feels like, you know, it feels like home sweet home. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> So I'm curious, I heard you say that you started this practice around 35. Was there a time during from 35 to 48 where you lost interest or maybe you had an injury um, that kept you from practicing this way? Yeah, I'd say that I had. Um, so the thing that happened when I was 35 uh, is I got sober. So um, my journey was required me um stopping being an alcoholic and a drug addict and being very um, intentional about that. And so when I was 35, I finally got sick and tired of being sick and tired after lots of kind of failed attempts. I've been sick and tired of being sick and tired, but uh, there's a phrase in recovery called I move at the speed of pain. You know, there has to be a sufficient amount of pain in order for me to get off my ass and do something different. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. And for an alcoholic, you know, um, the level of pain that you can endure or willing to endure seems to be absurdly high, an absurdly high threshold to pain. And that pain comes in the form of you know, using and disappointing people and all the things that come along with kind of long-term addiction. And so, um, when I was 35, uh, it's funny, actually, uh, today's the 30th. Yesterday was my 12 year sobriety date. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, it's also my daughter's, um, 13th birthday. So I just posted on Instagram. I have this picture of she and I that I, that's like, she got to celebrate 13 years of her birthday and her dad got to celebrate 12 years and she saved her dad's life. Right. Pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Pretty cool. It, you know, and, and now she knows what that means, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you made me get emotional. <laughs> No one I've, talked about, I've talked about that several times since oh. I've done that yesterday and I haven't gotten emotional, but that makes me get emotional a little bit because, um, because it, make, it makes me think about, um, like the number of things that I've been able to do since that time, you know, nobody comes into the program of, uh, recovery on a winning streak, you know, things are pretty screwed up, financially screwed up, health screwed up, um, you have this monster thing you're trying to solve, which is addiction. You have no idea how to solve it. Um, and relationships are broken and family is disappointed and all the things that come with coming into surrendering and saying enough is enough. It's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Particularly with people that have a shield of self-will, right? Because like my self-will had gotten me very far in a lot of different areas. But in this particular aspect, it was killing. And so it became this really um, 
you know, people say, what's the most important thing that's ever happened to you? And like, you know, what's the one thing you, you know, if you could change, I mean, the only thing that I would change in my, in my background of my life is I wish I would have gotten sober earlier, maybe. Um, but the idea of getting sober and the action of doing it was completely the most important thing that's ever happened to me. Because without that, I can't do any of the other things that I want to do, right? I can't take care of my family. I can't do any of the sports stuff. I can't run a business. I can't, I'm completely unreliable. I'm a shitty friend. I'm not a great partner. All of the things that we all hope to be as humans. And so like out of that process of recovery, you get this thing of um, a sense of usefulness, I would call it, and a sense of purpose, which is like, um, okay, wow, I've been given this miracle of, uh, of sobriety. Now I get to pass that forward to other people. Mm-hmm. And that turns out to be like this amazingly cool thing. So, uh, I run a business here in Austin or the based in Austin, and we have probably, you know, 40 or 50 people that are in recovery that work here. And so we get to like, talk about it and deal with it daily. And like, it's a really cool thing. And if you said, wow, uh, in the process of like recovery, you got to help one person save their life. It's pretty big. It's a pretty big thing. So you get to, you get this sense of usefulness and purpose out of that. Um, so that was the thing when I was 35. So it was a pretty big thing. You asked this simple question. I think I gave you a complicated answer that was in, involved tears, but it's the answer, which is, yeah, when I was, you know, leading up to then, like my addiction had taken over, I couldn't do the things I wanted to do, definitely athletically. Um, and so by getting that fixed, it opened up all these other doors that allowed me to go do the stuff I would love to do. So I'm grateful for that. Yes. <laughs> I can hear that. Hear it and feel it. Do you did you have your business when you um when you got sober at 35? Did did it already exist? Uh, no, no, hell, <laughs> hell no. <laughs> okay. right, no so, so I'll paint the picture for you. So I was completely broke. I had no job. Uh, the mortgage is backed up. Every relationship was strained. Um, my credit score was probably a 500. I had no idea what I wanted to do. If you would have asked me what Brett Biggert's best plan was at 35, I would have said maybe go back and like try to get a job in finance, what I'd done previously. I was not particularly good at finance. I don't particularly like it. And so it was just kind of a miserable existence, quite frankly. And so I got introduced to, um, I started a solar business, uh, probably, well, October the 5th, I got sober the 29th. So almost 30 days later, I had no money. I had no, no nothing. And I went to go meet this guy who had a little solar business and we partnered and I said, look, um, I'd love to start a solar business. Cause you know, I think the market's fragmented people. Um, don't understand the value proposition. I think I can run this uh, a business that does this. And he said, look, I install solar. I run crews of guys uh, and design systems, but I don't even like people. I was like, perfect. Let's partner. <laughs> so we did. We started out of his house, whatever, almost 12, just, you know, basically 12 years ago. And Today we've got a thousand people and we're in, we've got 11 locations and uh, it's been really, really fun business. And it's been, again, I go back to this thing of um, 
well, maybe I'll tell you this little story of, of, of this sobriety thing for a second. When I got sober, I, the day I got sober, what happened? Um, I go to this a meeting I needed to get cleaned up. I couldn't, I went to this meeting and they talked about willingness and action. You had to have both of those things to get sober. So I leave that meeting. I come home and my wife was like, uh, you seem like you're on these pills. Like, uh, what's going on? I lied to her, said I wasn't. She went out to my truck, found a bottle of pills, comes back, throws with me, says I'm over this. My daughter is one years old that day. And she basically said the long and the short of it is, um, I'm going to give you 30 days to get cleaned up. Whatever that means, burning incense, meeting with people, chanting, reading books, whatever it takes like that you can do for free, like go do it. So I went to meet with a guy who's still my sponsor and we started to do step work. And the second day I came home and I had um, this crazy experience. I, I got in the shower and I was completely defeated. Everything, all doors had closed in my life and I realized I had to make some change. And it was the idea of being backed into a corner and trying, you know, usually Brett Bigger shoots his way out with bows and arrows and guns. And I, you know, whatever it is, I get my way out of whatever pickle I'm in. And I had this overwhelming feeling that I could not get out of this situation, that I was screwed. And I was taking a shower. And at that moment, I heard a voice tell me, so long as you're 100% honest, I'll take care of you. Mm. Pretty crazy. This is not from a guy who has like some religious background or anything else. This is just a dude who's an addict who happened to get sober that day. So if you were to tell me, um, Brett Bigger, tell me the best outcome for your life. And here's a pen and a piece of paper. And I'd like you to write it on this piece of paper. I would have done what I just told you, which is I would have said, well, maybe I get a finance job and I'd be able to support my family and all that and blah, blah, blah. And what's happened in this process is like, if that was 10 feet of progress, what I've gotten is like 10,000 feet of progress much better than I could have ever imagined. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, how did that happen? And it's like, well, go back to the concept that we talked about before, which is this idea of um, my self will, my self will run riot, right? When it's the Brett Biggert show all the time, I always drive the car into the ditch. Now, a little bit of self-will is okay, right? I need to set my alarm in the morning. I got to get on my bike. I got to show up at work. I got to do stuff. I got to be an honest guy. I got to be transparent. I have to do these things that humans require to have good relationships. That's my side of the street. But then there's this other side of the street, which is like, am I willing to turn things over to something besides Brett Bigger, the universe, a higher power, God, whatever it is. And so I was willing to do that. And in doing that, I've been given much more serenity and peace and opportunity than I could have ever imagined. Pretty good. So, yeah, so that's a long winded way of answering your question. <laughs> what the hell were you doing when you were 35? But it's kind of an important story because it's, uh, it, it tells a little bit of my path. And so I think about that a lot, which is like, okay, what was the promise that was made to me in that shower? So long as I'm 100% honest, I'll take care of you. 
Well, so far, if I look at the record, when I'm 100% honest, it all works out okay. And by the way, if I want to exercise my self-will and my self-will interjects any dishonesty whatsoever, then things go pretty badly. Mm-hmm. I've tried it. I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not perfect. The track record is not perfect. And so I've had to try it. And uh, so anyway, I have to tell myself that stuff out loud to remind myself that like, so long as I do that, the outcome always becomes much more fabulous than I could have expected. So I, I've been really... I'm really grateful for that. So I've had this really cool career that fits a guy who's an ADD guy that I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do, how I could be useful and have a sense of purpose. And it turns out that all those characteristics are actually really useful for what I do to run this business. Cause I solve different problems every day. I'm interacting with human beings that we're trying to solve different things that are complicated and unique every day. And a guy like me that's super ADD and loves to win is actually a great, those are, those are great qualities for that. Mm-hmm. So you just kind of have to, you kind of have to find your thing, you know? And uh, anyway, so I'm grateful I've, I found my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it won't last forever, but it's lasted for 12 years and I'm super grateful for that. Mm. Sounds like you've cultivated your strengths and then you've brought more consciousness to the things that aren't serving you and slowly left them in the dust. Yeah, there's, there, you know, I remember my dad saying, he's like, you know, in your 20s, no one's going to trust you to do anything. You're just a sponge. In your 30s, you try to figure out where you like what your assets are. And in your 40s, you you hope to stand on your assets and leverage them in a way that helps you do what you want to do, whatever that is. That's been true for me. You know, as I sit here at 48, like that's been true, which is the idea that, um, you know, everybody has things that they're in, innately good at. Um, on one end and innately struggle with on the other. And so when it comes to career stuff, it's like, I'm going to stand on the things that come easier to me that are, um, that are assets. And I'm going to maybe leave the things alone that are very hard for me to do. And maybe I'll outsource some of that. (laughs) Well, what I hear you saying, I just want to like point out, so like you're choosing your hard. So I, cause I just realized this, you know, you're, you're, choosing some ease in the business and to really highlight your strengths. But then in your personal life, in the the sports department, it seems like you're asking for that hard as a way to yeah. understand yourself better. Yeah. So I, I, I had this, like, um, I had a little bit of a realization, like every once in a while, my little brain will connect a couple of dots in a meaningful way for me. It helped me grasp some idea. And the idea was, wow, Mr. Bigger. Let's look at your life for a moment. Um, in all hard things that people are faced with in life, and we're all faced with hard things to deal with, whatever they are, there's this hard thing that has to be dealt with. And it usually creates some pain of some sort. And then out of that pain, if I'm willing to do something and change and deal with that pain, which usually requires some change, then I get some growth out of myself and out of that growth, I get some success. So if I go backwards and I connect those dots with success and I go back to growth and that requires change. And sometimes in my life, those things are fueled by pain. Mm-hmm. They just are. I don't know how else to explain it. I wish they weren't, but they are. 
And so I think in some weird twisted way, like the sports stuff that I do um, gets me very comfortable with pain, you know, in a way that like, um, in the not comfortable, like I'm going to live with it, but I like, I'm going to get through it to the other side of it. Um, and so it's, it's a strange thing. It's like, um, as a human, it's like, if I go do these big races or I go do some big thing, some big event and I train up for it and I do it and my life is an island by doing that, I make my island a little bit bigger, like a little bit bigger. And if I do that consecutively, you know, it gets a little bit bigger. The shore of my life becomes a little bit farther reaching than it was before. And so that's why I've become a junkie for this. Cause like that feeling is just, is really like, now I'm a junkie for that. It's just, um, and it's, it's just always, you know, coming up with how much grit do you have in you is always a question. Like how much, how much can I really grit it out? Mm-hmm. And I think I've been insecure about that in my life, you know, um, leading up to, kind of the last, I call it five years, maybe 10, um, which is like, well, I don't think I'm smart enough. Or I don't think I can do this. Or I just, you know, if I can't win, I'm going to put the, I'm going to put my ball down. I'm not going to play. And doing these things forces me to play and it forces me to see the outcome. And when I do that and have a success at the end of that, it allows me, it gives me a sense of confidence and makes my shore a little bit further. Um, not in a cocky, jerky way, but just in an internalized way of like, I do have some grit in me. I do have some grit in me. I can go farther than I think I can go. And I think the, I think the confidence building exercise of that translates to everything, you know, again, not in a, not, not in a prideful jerky way, but in a quiet, calm confidence kind of a way, which is like, "Mm, I can probably grind harder than so-and-so, you know, I can probably stick this out. I don't know that that guy rode six days last week in a race and did 40,000 feet of climbing. And so I don't, you know, it it becomes a, in a strange way, it becomes a confidence building exercise. Well, you've practiced the discipline, the devotion and then I, I guess I'm curious, does it feel like something that you can control? Not the outcome, you know, because we can never control the outcome, but the actual, the practice of it and the showing up. I, I think that's where I, that's where I needed the confidence um, is as an ADD guy that doesn't want to stay focused on one thing for very long for me to show up at the gym or on the bike, or on the trail, or on the dirt bike, and log the miles that I need to log, and upload it to a trainer on my Garmin watch, and have him check and make sure I did what I said I was going to do, and the accountability exercise of that, and the consistency of it, provides some guardrails for me that were kind of needed, and they helped me break through that insecurity of being like, I don't know that I could really do that. Like, I mean... You know, I look at the diploma on my wall and I still have this recurring nightmare that like someone at the University of Texas is going to call me and be like, 
you didn't actually pass that class, man. <laughs> you don't deserve the diploma. And so it's this weird, it's like this, this, um, you know, it's the thing about like, uh, I just think that consistency builds confidence over time mm -hmm. and that, um, that can become a really, a really good asset. One of those things that you lean on. Mm -hmm. so, well, you talked about being honest and trusting yourself. And I feel, feel like there's an honesty in that when you show up for your, you say you're going to show up and then you do it, that there's honesty in that. Totally. You trust yourself more and more as you do it. You, you trust yourself more and more and you get to a place where you, you know, you can do it. And I don't know. I just, I, I, I feel like, um, we have a principle in this business, which is based on what I like to do in my life, which is getting out of your comfort zone. And I have this thing with my kids and we talk about it all the time, which is you got to get outside your comfort zone a little bit every day. And as humans, we want to stay inside of our comfort zone, which is, you know, it's 70 degrees in this office right now. And then I'll go into my 70 degree car to take me to my 70 degree house and prepare some food that's already been killed and prepared. All like life can be pretty cushy sometimes, you know, as humans today. And so the idea of getting out of your comfort zone and doing something hard that you didn't think you could do every day is like a practice. I really try to practice. And we do that in our business all the time. And that watching other people do that, I've become a total junkie for. So watching someone on my executive team do something they didn't think they could do and deliver the thing, you know, over deliver on the results and do it under budget and had no confidence to be able to do it in the beginning of that. And then ultimately do it it like brings me to tears. It's just like such a cool thing. And that's the idea of like getting out of your comfort zone a little bit and like pushing the edges and like, can I go a little farther? Can I do a little more than I thought I could do? Could I, can I push this thing? And that's growth. Right. And like, that's back to my thing of like growth leads to success and like, okay, so you can apply those in a lot of parts of your life. Brad, I have a couple questions. Um, actually, I had a question with what you just said, and it's it's like escaping me at the moment. I because I keep thinking about how you share this. You mentioned you just hinted about sharing it with your kids, and yeah. in your stories, you've shared about sharing it at work. These practices. Yeah. I guess I'm curious. Did the were these things happening at the time? The practice of living this way through your sports and the business or did you learn did you practice this through the the sports first and these big goals and then start to apply it at work yeah i think maybe i originally got it with sports stuff um that's probably the first way that it came to me and then all these things um it all started to intertwine a little bit in all parts of my life which is to say if i can practice these affairs in all of my life, right? It'll get better. That means in the exercise stuff and the goals and the things I want to do and how I show up as a dad and what that looks like, what I teach my kids, what I want them to see, what I want to like, how I want to show up as a role model, how I show up in this business. Um, 
do I do what I say I'm going to do? All those things. I think it was born out of sports. And then through recovery, entrepreneurial stuff, it's all kind of melded together into one way to live. And I try to not ever let there be um, versions of Brett Bigger. There's only one. There's only one version of me. You know what I mean? That back to the shower moment of like the version of like the 100% honest, unvarnished truth of what I'm thinking or how I'm acting or how I'm showing up. Um, and so it's, 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 it's just been a cool thing because all of those, whether it's sports, whether it's entrepreneurial, whether it's sobriety, whether it's being a dad, all those things, they all kind of like, they all kind of live around these same principles and, and getting out of your comfort zone, I think applies to being a better dad, quite frankly, um, is an example that you wouldn't think, you know, oh, for sure. They, yeah. Well, that's actually, and my question is, do you ride with your daughter, like dirt bikes or mountain bikes or hike together? Yeah. So, 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 um, so as a dad that loves this stuff, um, I'm slowly integrating it into my children. Um, and I'm trying to be a patient guy and trying not to be the guy that pushes all what I like to do onto you as a as my son or daughter, because I like it. And so it turns out they like different stuff. It turns out like my son is totally into team sports and that's great. And he's trying to find his way. Um, but the stuff that he likes to do sports wise is very different from what I like to do. We find a couple of over, over overlapping spots. One of them is the lake. Um, they love to water ski and wakeboard and I'm a junkie for that too. So we do that together a bunch. But I bought them, I bought them motorcycles and put them in the garage and I bought, you know, they're on bicycles a little bit, but I, they haven't totally come my way yet in terms of what they love to do. Uh, but that's okay. Yeah. I don't care what my, it doesn't have to be my way. It can be their way. And my job is to show up and just provide kind of the same net that my parent, my dad did for me, which is like, Hey, look, we're going to go. If you're going to do this, let's try to do it and do the best you can and show up and be consistent. And like all these things apply to those applications as well, right? Mm -hmm. Getting out of your comfort zone, pushing yourself a little bit, doing more than you think you could do, all those things. So I'm trying to like, but I do believe, I'll tell you that I do believe they're going to come my way. <laughs> it's just a matter of time. <laughs> it's, so. tricky. it's a dance. I mean, I feel like I really got lucky um, in that department, but I know. That did not. <laughs> and I, yeah, but my son doesn't want to play soccer. Like he doesn't have any interest. He's like, no, I'm not feeling it this year. And it's, it's kind of, I'm a little, a part of me is like, thank goodness, because these kids already in fourth grade were going to like camps and stuff this summer. And, oh, yeah. stuff. and I was like, wait a second. Oh, but it's just not where it's, my son isn't interested in it in that way. He wants to mountain bike and dirt bike and ski and yeah, I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah, this is great. I got lucky. <laughs> well, it sounds like you would you would get along great with my son, and I'd get along great with yours. <laughs> He's like, let's go. So pretty soon, I won't be able to keep up with him. I'm trying to up my game so that I can keep up with him. I love that. Well, you know, it's funny that I feel like there were those moments as a kid where you kind of like you go through team sports stuff, and then you know some guys get stronger and better and become kind of the select guys, and then. Uh, that was the case for me. And then you kind of, as you, as I fell out of that group athletically, I have to find my own path. And then you kind of find the individual sports stuff, hopefully, and you kind of go that route. That's what happened to me. And so we'll see what happens, but I'm, I'm optimistic. 
that happened to me too, Brad. I was a bench warmer in volleyball. I loved volleyball so much and I had so much fun playing it, but my ass sat on the bench and then, yeah, like in college, I started to find individual sports and I'm like, oh, okay, you know, this, I can just focus on myself. And I loved the team stuff because I love people. Um, but it was fun to actually just get to play, get to do uh, whatever the thing was that I was having fun with. I, 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 I love that. Um, so, I mean, we talked a little bit about some of these questions that I, and we're talking so much longer. I'm looking at the clock than my usual conversations. And, you know, it's, it, I'm grateful. It's been a joy to hear your stories. <laughs> um, do you see yourself doing this for the rest of your life? I heard you say the next decade. So that kind of made me think you might be continuing for a while yet. Is this something you see yourself doing for the rest of your life? It is. It is. I just had this conversation with someone that I love very much recently. And I was like, this stuff that I do, the sports stuff that I do is like embedded in my DNA. I get so much out of it personally that I could not imagine life without. Like I could not ever imagine life. I've gotten hurt a bunch of times racing dirt bikes and I've, you know, had to deal with, you know, broken backs and broken a bunch of bones and like just being sidelined and I get depressed. Mm -hmm. I get depressed. And so like, I have to do this stuff. And so I just could not imagine a world that I don't do it. And I, I got to go to, uh, I got to go to dinner a week ago with one of my good friends. He's 91. And so we went to dinner with he and his wife and I took my kids because I wanted them to meet this guy Lloyd, who's a great friend of mine. And he was, you know, a bull rider and then a motocross racer and a spear fisherman and like has done all of these insanely cool things, quite frankly, before they were cool and did that all the way into his eighties and still, you know, would go to the motocross track and take his motorcycle and got up every morning and hammered out, you know, push-ups and sit-ups and did his thing. And he's been like a total inspiration to me because I see him and he's 91 and he's getting a little harder to get around. But like he took it to the end, has taken it to the end. And he wrote this incredible book called Fun for his grandkids. And the book is about his life. And it's the most amazing life that I've, I, I meet a lot of extraordinary people and maybe his life is like the, the, one of the, it's just incredible what he's been able to do and that getting out of your comfort zone and doing these cool things and just being in the, in, in a mode of action, not thinking about doing things, but doing things. Mm -hmm. And so I'm totally inspired by him. And so I see him at 91 and I'm like, that's the life I want to live. Like I want to do this up until I can't do it anymore. And if I get to make it to 91, that's a total success. And so, yeah, I, I couldn't imagine not doing it. It's so beautiful when we have those people in our lives to look up to or that come in, that pop in and you're like, Ooh, okay. I can see what's possible. <laughs> and it's okay. us. Yeah. Well, you know, I got, I go to the, the, uh, the Breck Epic, uh, this last week and did that. And there were so many people there's so many phenomenal athletes. I'm blown away. You know, you, you show up from Austin, Texas, in my case, as a 48 year old guy who's in okay shape, who really likes to do this stuff. And you show up to a sea of 400 other really, really good athletes from all over the world. And it's a humbling exercise because 
there are just phenomenal athletes in the world that are 20 years older than me, 20 years older that are doing this race and 10 years older that are doing it faster and definitely my age that are like unbelievable in what they do. And so I got, you know, doing this always inspires me. There's some humility to eat. You know, <laughs> there's some humility to eat. You're like, okay, I'm not that fast. Okay. I'll, I'll accept that, but I am going to finish this damn race. And then you get to see, you know, these other men and women who are so good at what they do and doing it late in life. And it's just like incredibly inspiring. So I see the path. Like I can, I can link the examples together to get to my friend Lloyd, who's 91. It's pretty cool. So um, if someone hears this, so the idea behind this podcast is that someone could um, hear this and have no interest in ever becoming an ultra athlete. Maybe they think that's just crazy and they have no interest, but they could take something that you said today and really apply apply it to something that they do want to practice in their life. Um, Or, and this is where it leads to the next question, someone might hear this and think, wow, (laughs) I never even considered, you know, setting my life up like this, choosing a big race and um, making a commitment to do that. So if someone hears this and, you know, it sparks that in them, what would you suggest? How, How would they get started? What's like, some words of wisdom that you could pass along if someone hears this and they're like, I want to do the rim to rim to rim or the Breck Epic. Yeah, I would say, first of all, anybody can do these things. So the potential of people that are listeners that could go pull off these things, whatever it is, a marathon, an Ironman, a Breck Epic, uh, fill in the blank, Leadville 100, is basically almost anyone. The question is like, how much of your life do you want to see in the action part? You know, and your life only gets judged based on your actions, as it's been told to me. And so it's like, wow, there's two things that kind of stick out to me. One of them is, okay, um, you can go do extraordinary things. All it takes is a commitment to say the first step, which is like, I'm going to go do something that's very uncomfortable for me. We'll call that getting out of your comfort zone. And then committing to that thing, putting it on your whiteboard, putting it on your notebook, your sticky note, whatever it is, the thing that you see every day, and then just going to do that one thing and trying to knock it out, not being caught up in the results of I have to win, or I have to do this, or I have to be on the podium, or I, if I don't get on the podium, I'm going to be super disappointed, but just, I'm going to go finish one of these things because I don't think I could, in my heart of hearts, like I know it'd be very hard and I'm not sure I could do it. And I think you'll be blown away. I think you'd be blown away by the results and you'll do one and you'll turn into a junkie like me. That's like, okay, we're going to go do the next one. That's a little bit bigger than the next one. And the next one, you keep doing that. And the shore of your life just gets a little bit bigger, Mm -hmm. a little bit bigger and a little more expansive. And that translates to all parts of how we show up in this world, which is a pretty cool thing. Yes. My last question is, what are you currently reading? Uh, So I just finished the book, The Sun, 
Uh, it's by Philip Meyer. It's a historical book, uh, historically accurate book. It's, I think it's a bestseller. Um, I just finished it literally like last night. It's the longest book I've ever read, which is not still not very long. I think it's like 600 pages. Um, but I'm was blown away at how good it was. Um, it talks about coming. It's a lot about the Comanche Indians and kind of the 1800s and the wild frontier and like what people lived through and what they had to go through day to day. Talk about getting outside of your comfort zone. We like, it's a joke what we live in today, right? I can get a nice truck, I drive to a nice house, you know, I can a nice office, nice lunches, you know, I drink this nice, you know, spin drift out of a can. I mean, these people were like, is uncomfortable as you could possibly be, you know, fighting Comanche Indians and what those Comanche Indians did and believed and how they operated. And so, um, yeah, I've loved the book. It's, it's, it actually has a lot of parts of what we've talked about today, uh, in terms of like getting out of your comfort zone and, uh, what people are capable of, which is pretty cool. I love stories like that about what, what do you really have in the tank? And the reality is your physical body and your mental capacity, right? Those two things, like what gives out faster, your brain or your physical body? And the answer is always your brain. Mm -hmm. Your brain always says, you know, you're done. You can't go any farther. You're done. Like you can't, you, you just got to finish this race. Like you, you can't even finish this race. You just need to go back to the parking lot. Like that's what my mind says, right? In these things. And it's, um, it's such a cool thing when you kind of push through that a little bit. And I, at the Breck Epic, for example, uh, I had to call, I was turned inside out. I was in the back country. I was like day four, I was just done like halfway through the race. And so I saw my phone. I was like, I still have cell coverage. Sweet. So I called my daughter on FaceTime. Aww. I'm like, Hey Louise, what's going on? She's like, dad, you don't look so good. <laughs> it's like, Your dad's not doing so good. I'm a little turned inside out. I'm in the back country. And like, I'm thinking about quitting this race. She's like, no dad, you can't quit. You got this thing. Just keep going. So she gave me this pep talk. I'm like, okay, great. So I hung up the phone and like, that got me to the finish line. Mm which was really, really cool. Um, so we've, we've been joking about that a bunch since then. She's like, you call me anytime you need me, you know, dad. <laughs> anyway, that, that book has a lot of, uh, has a lot of parts about, uh, amazing stories of human beings doing things they didn't think they could do. So I'm going to check it out. Yeah. Check it out. Well, for sure. Well, Brett, it's been really awesome having you on the podcast today. This is such a gift for the folks who are going to listen to it. And for me, I, you know, I just, I was sitting here um, thinking about synchronicities and yeah, the only reason this came to be <laughs> is because, yeah, I was working on a house with someone that you know, and that I know, and we were talking about this podcast that I'm doing is like, oh, you need to interview my friend, Brett. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I was like, give me his name or whatever. And I looked you up and you're the first person that I've interviewed uh, that I didn't already know. So this has been really fun. Um, that's awesome. And it feels like, yeah, really just a joyful synchronicity um, because this was really special to me. Thank you. 
Well, I, I really appreciate it. And it's been a pleasure to do it. And, uh, and I really appreciate you having me on. It's been a lot of fun. Yay. Well, I'm going to get all your contact information after we um, stop recording so that in the show notes, I can um, help people find you if they want to follow you um, in your ultra adventures. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Brett. That's my pleasure. Have a great day. Yeah, thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Great. Bye. Bye. I'm so very grateful for the time that Brett spent talking to me and having this conversation on the Ritual of Practice podcast. So I wanted to wrap it up by sharing a few of my takeaways. So the two biggest ones, the the one um, of being inspired by others, I felt like this was so uplifting, um, his story that he shared about being at the race and seeing people older than him that are faster and his same age. And just instead of looking through the lens of comparison, uh, looking through the lens of, inspira- lens of inspiration, that really spoke to me. And then I really connected with the clarity that he finds through exercise. Um, I think movement exercise in so many different forms can take us out of um, the thinking brain and put us more into this place where we're connected to our heart or um, embodied or however you want to look at it that is getting out of our own way. So I loved um, those two shares. And then just as far as choosing something big, I think this is really powerful to whether it's exercise or another type of goal. And then, um, you know, recognizing, you know, he admitted like he doesn't tend to be the most consistent. So building in that consistency, which to me is practice, the essence of this podcast. So building in that consistency by scheduling it and showing up. And then I also heard something really powerful of having um, accountability. And that can look so many different ways. Um, I've built in my own little accountability practices, and I could certainly benefit from more. Uh, So yeah, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this. And if you did, share it with a friend. Thank you for tuning in to the Ritual of Practice podcast. You can find the show home at ritualofpractice.com. Follow us on your favorite listening platform to receive weekly inspiration for your practices. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone you love. Until next time, keep practicing.